May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our walk and our redeemer. In this second Sunday of Lent, the gospel speaks of the time when Jesus is teaching his disciples that he, the Son of Man, must undergo great suffering, and if they are to become his followers, they would too have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. This command to deny oneself, to take up one's cross and follow Jesus, has been interpreted in many different ways. I'm going to share three of them with you this morning. If you look around the walls of the church, you'll see 14 plaques. These plaques are the stations of the cross, representing Christ's passion from the condemnation by Pontius Pilate to his body being laid in a tomb borrowed by Joseph of, from Joseph of Arimathea. This is a custom that dates back to the Middle Ages in Europe, when devout Christians desired to go to the Holy Land but could not make that expensive and dangerous pilgrimage. So instead, they developed the custom to create that pilgrimage of the sites from Christ's passion. If you ever have the opportunity to save all your nickels and dimes so that you can go to Israel, you can walk that way, the Via Dolorosa, that is symbolized with the 14 plaques around the church. Faithful Christians would walk to these sculptures one after another, praying and meditating on how painfully our salvation has come to us. We try to do the same with the stations in Lent and Holy Week, walking the way of the cross. And there's another custom practiced in some communities in Mexico and Central America called the Via Crucis. It's more complicated than the Posadas of Christmas and not nearly as joyful. According to Leticia Velasquez, a writer and blogger on Hispanic culture, the whole community prepares for weeks. Roles and responsibilities are handed out, including making costumes and building the components that are necessary. 14 family homes in the neighborhood are selected and giving plaques represented the 14 stations of the cross, which they highly decorate. On Good Friday, they display this plaque outside their homes, decorated with flowers, and it tells the neighborhood that the Via Cruces will stop at that house. At noon, the entire tableau of the Passion of the Cross is reenacted with a narrator telling the story, a priest reading the part of Jesus, while a young man acts out the part of Christ. The faithful follow this procession through the streets as Jesus is, carried, is carrying the cross, where he meets his mother, consoles the weeping women of Jerusalem, Veronica wipes her face with, a, with his veil, he falls three times, and it ends with crucifixion, death, and burial. They pray the prayers with the priest, and between each station, while we say, we adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by thy holy cross you have redeemed the world, they say, Perdona su pueblo, Señor. Pardon your people, Lord. Each participant, as they walk, thinks about their soul, begging Jesus' pardon for his sins as they participate in the reenactment 
of the events of Good Friday. At the culmination, the man who portrays Christ is symbolically nailed to the cross. It's very dramatic. And he spends a long time there as the priest reads las siete palabras, or the seven last words, which are really the seven last phrases of Christ, where Jesus begins with, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and ends with, it is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's the second way, and if I ever have the opportunity to see it, I'm going to avail myself of that. A third way occurs primarily in the United States, but then it crossed the waters and now has appeared in 234 countries and provinces or territories. Wouldn't you be at least a little bit curious if a pleasant-looking man started walking down the street carrying a seven-foot wooden cross? The Guinness Book of World Records says in 2015 this was a man who had recorded the longest around-the-world ongoing pilgrimage walk. This man is still walking at the age of 82 and has logged over 45,000 miles. All the while, he has brought the cross along with him. I got to meet him. I thought, when am I ever going to have such an opportunity? If I ask if you were curious, well, I was too. It's a, it was interesting to sit with him and talk because he wasn't that unusual. He was married, he had seven kids. He was very pleasant to talk with. He shared that whenever he needed to leave his cross someplace overnight, he would ask churches, but there was no guarantee they would say yes. But the place that he always knew would take care of his cross for him overnight were bars and strip joints. <laughs> the man's real name is Arthur Blessed, and he was just an everyday kind of guy who was faithful in what he felt his call was to invite people to talk about Jesus, but in a way that he didn't approach them, they could approach him. These three examples are very, very different but they share a common denominator. It is the desire to find ways to deny ourselves comfort and convenience for even a few moments or hours, or perhaps one's whole life, to embody the command of Jesus to take up our cross and follow him. Those people did it literally, but each day we have opportunities to take up our cross. Taking up our cross in the United States isn't nearly as risky as it is in other parts of the world. Persecution of Christians have never stopped. In countries like North Korea, Somalia, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Afghanistan are only some of the countries where Christian worship is criminalized. They are arrested, jailed, raped, sold into slavery, and murdered. They pay a very high price to carry the cross. But before anyone could heed the call, we must have our hearts in the right place. Jesus' rebuke to Peter seems unduly harsh on the surface. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Hush. But just prior, Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. 
but Peter's understanding of who the Messiah was and how things would work out were terribly flawed. When Jesus began to teach them that the Messiah would suffer many things and be rejected and killed and after three days would rise from the dead, it didn't match Peter's understanding about what Messiahship was all about. Their culture taught them that the Messiah would overthrow Rome, that their Messiah would be a warrior, a deliverer. He would change the economic and social hardships they endured. The Messiah would lift their oppression. He would be a glorious king. Their Messiah was not supposed to die in the cruelest, most brutal, brutal and humiliating way imaginable. Peter, whether out of his love for his rabbi Jesus or fear of the Roman Empire, or maybe just the desire to make Jesus' life a little better after having watched Jesus heal multitudes and make their lives better, rebuked his master, and in return, the master rebuked him back. How often we're just like Peter. We design God in ways that work for us. We see it in our artwork with the Blessed Mother, and we've addressed it with the Mary Chapel windows. We hear it in our conversations, but most insidiously, we have pockets of those kinds of beliefs in our hearts. When Jesus doesn't show up in the way we expect Jesus to do, or doing things we don't expect Jesus to do, or in the ways we don't want Jesus to do them, we question and wonder if Jesus is there at all. We wonder just what kind of Messiah have we decided to align ourselves with? What kind of Messiah is there when there is still so much trouble in the world and yet we believe Christ is present? We see it daily in the injustices around us and the work for equality and safety, yet they remain outside of the reach of so many. And when we are in deep suffering, we can forget that suffering isn't permanent, and we can lapse into anxiety and despair or be tempted with jealousy and covetousness, something that I've struggled with in the last month. The worst thing that we can do is to act like suffering and jealousy and covetousness and anxiety and despair and temptation are not part of the Christian life. Suffering is real, but we do not suffer alone, and we don't have someone who isn't touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And then when things are going well and just fine, we can take it in stride as part of our expectations of life because perhaps we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And then we are shocked when trouble and pain return, crying within about how unfair it is. How seldom we say it's unfair when things are going well. Why should I have such a good life? Why should I get the green lights? Why should I have the parking space that I desire? It seems a bit random, but both suffering and sorrow and joy and pain are all part of the Christian life. Death is part of it, but so is the joy of the resurrection. For we live our lives in the shadow of the cross with the hope of the resurrection. God calls us to live with both, and we cannot forget one or the other. Jesus was terribly harsh with Peter, but it was because Peter had the wrong concept about him and could stand in the way of what was most important. 
Jesus is concerned with what concerns God, not simply human concerns of power or status. People didn't get Jesus, and people may not always get you either. People may not always get us as a community, but we can never stop doing the work that God has called us to do, to continually seek Jesus with a pure heart, to share the good news of the love of Christ, to do the work of justice with love, to consider that our understanding may be incomplete or even in error and that we might need to change, to love God and our neighbor, even at great personal sacrifice, to even be willing to lay down our lives for the gospel should God call us to do so. This time of Lent provides us with the opportunity to reflect on the final weeks of Christ and his ministry. We are like Peter, recognizing that Jesus is our Lord and that we have chosen to be his disciples. But we are also like Peter, with hearts that can lead us astray, with hearts that can misunderstand what the gospel is all about. And this might be a very good time to look within our hearts and to see Jesus anew. Amen.